You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. You are listening to the Ride Fat Bike Show on Mountain Bike Radio. I'm your host, Ben Welnack, and today with me, I have Penn Cycle President Pat Sorensen, and we're going to discuss uh, Penn Cycle, uh, kind of the history behind that, how Pat, you know, how he got involved, how he became president, and then get into kind of what the, the main topic is, is the two race series that they have going on called Get Fat with Pat. They do some rides uh, down at the Minnesota River Bottoms, and you've probably heard about the River Bottoms either through, you know, Salsa, Surly, or all the different rides going on. So I, you know, I want him to do a quick just rundown of what what's going on there too. So, um, but yeah, let's get to it. So Pat, thank you for joining me. No, you're welcome. Yeah. So, you know, like I mentioned, I kind of want to I kind of want to step back because Penn Cycle seems to have taken a kind of a big. Um, role in the whole fat bike world in Minneapolis. And I kind of wanted to, to go back and, you know, have you tell us uh, about Penn Cycle and about yourself and how you got involved and how you became president. So um, let's go, let's start with Penn. How, you know, talk about the history of Penn. Okay. Well, back in 1957, my father was working as an airline mechanic for Northwest Airlines. And he loved, he was a, quite a sportsman. He loved to hunt and fish. And there was five of us kids going to Catholic schools. And uh, he was tired of tripping over my brothers and sisters' bikes in the garage. So he took his entire savings of $35 and headed down to a, a distributor that used to be in downtown Minneapolis called Island Cycle. Bought all the parts and paint and things. Came back home and rebuilt the bikes and uh, put an ad in the Sunday paper. And went off, he, he uh, went off to... Uh, go to work at Northwest Airlines for the day. He called my mom at uh, lunch break and says, well, we had the business. And she says, all of the bikes are sold. And he said to her, I think we're onto something here. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so what he's, he was really pressed to come up with inventory. And so I remember as a little kid that uh, we would buy the Sunday paper on Saturday night. And then we'd go through the one heads and then he'd call all the people that were selling bikes and then we would load up in the station wagon the first thing on Sunday morning and head out and drive around and buy all the used bikes that he could. And uh, that's how we continued to get inventory, and that's how the whole Penn Cycle thing got started. Wow. So from early on, you, you had a pretty good idea how to how to get things done, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess I was just born in the industry and uh, never, never, was, never left. Yeah, so were there... Were there any times, you know, when you're a little kid, how old were you when you were driving around doing this? Do you remember? Um, I, I was pretty young. I was uh, probably nine, ten years old. And uh, then in uh, when I turned 12, we had, uh, by then, uh, got it in a store, a real live store, instead of just a small uh, operating out of the garage. And... Uh, we got we we became a Schwinn dealer in 1964, and so when I turned 12, I became a new bike assembler and uh, being rewarded at uh, at the pay rate of 75 cents an hour. <laughs> so what I'm wondering is in that process, so between the you know age of nine and 12, when you actually had you know the storefront and all that stuff, were there some bikes where you know you called these people and then you showed up and you're like, man, I really want that. You know, a 10 year old kid. You're like, man, I really want that bike. Do we have to get rid of it? Did, was there any any of those, and did you end up keeping any of them that you have memories of? Uh, actually, 
Actually, I still have my very first bike. It was a Schwinn, 16-inch wheel Schwinn, that uh, I did the research on the on the serial number, and it was actually built on May 5th, 1953. And uh, there's a local guy here that restores bikes, and I had him completely restore it. And so I actually still have my very first bike. But as far as the other question, there was just a steady stream of bikes going through, and when my dad was looking, I'd jump on a different bike and take it for a spin for a joyride. So I, I was riding bikes all the okay. time. It's changed so much since then, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, somebody with the history that you have, is it? do you see a lot of the changes as it's all good, some good? some really bad ideas. Like what's your take? You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, they just, people just come out with stuff just to sell things. And, you know, after seeing all this, you know, the 60s Schwinn's and the fifties, you know, what's your reaction? Well, you know, it's, it's really been an interesting, uh, life for me as far as being in the bike industry, as long as I have, you know, we saw the, the rise of Schwinn and then, um, you know, they refused to change, and then the uh, European bikes started coming in with much lighter weight bikes and lug frames and things like that. And then back in 1976, there was a little company in Wisconsin that started up called Trek Bicycle. And uh, I remember the day that uh, the guy that helped uh, Dick Burke at that business started, he came walking in the store on a snowy, snowy, cold February day with a couple of frames over his shoulders. And uh, we looked at those, and I said, that looks like a pretty cool thing. And so we became Trek's very first customer in 1976. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and we, uh, we, you know, really got behind tracks and rode, uh, rode the, the wave with Trek. And uh, we have been in the top 10 largest Trek dealers in the world ever since 1976. In fact, it was about... Four or five years ago, we were the number one track dealer in the world, and uh, so it's it's been an interesting experience. And then to see the uh, the electrics, as an example, come in with the flat foot technology, and again an, another big revolution in the bike industry. And <clears throat> so that's been it's been a lot of fun just to uh, you know jump on the good ideas and and run with them and uh, build up the business. The whole focus of of Penn Cycle is that we do everything we can to get people on bikes. Being the largest Trek dealer like that, I'm curious, you know, Minneapolis, people don't think of it. You know, it's get it's received some press the last, I don't know, five years. It's gotten kind of recognized. But people think of, you know, it's cold. There's not a whole lot of stuff to do up there. This is their first thought. You know, that people that live in the Midwest, they, you know, they get an idea of what it's – you get used to the cold, right? But just explain oh, yeah. to people what it's like in Minneapolis. I mean, it obviously leads to something, you know, it has to be a lot of interest to sell that many bikes. Talk about Minneapolis as a cycling city. Well, it's, it's cycling is, is a huge, huge part of, of uh, the Twin Cities, let alone the, the entire state of Minnesota. There's more designated bicycle trails and bike lanes in downtown Minneapolis and St. Paul than any other state in the Union. Um, you can compare the size of the Twin Cities, for instance, to like Atlanta. And Atlanta, uh, the last time I checked, they have one bike trail that's about 24 miles long. And the Twin Cities has thousands of designated bike lanes and outstate with bike trails. And it's it's really been a lot of fun. And 
what's interesting in the industry, like you said, that in the last five years it's been getting some press. Uh, in the bike industry, there's a the Twin Cities of Minnesota is becoming a like a destination cycling state. Yeah, and you know, with that, I guess QBP, it's, you know, it's kind of natural. It's right down the street um, too, um, and it seems you know with the destination, that's where I kind of want to lead in the fat bikes because it seems to me you have you know the, not just the the smaller races but like you know the big you know arrowhead has been getting a lot of press i mean not that there's like thousands of people but you know you have uh that and then you have all these different other races going around the the twin cities um it just seems like they're embracing winter yeah well you know we uh we started putting races on at a local uh, ski area uh, summer mountain bike races 22 years okay. ago, and so it was just it was just a natural thing. The races are held at Buck Hill, and uh, the last race that we did this year, we had 292 riders, and it's a huge, huge family event with lots of kids and kids races. And then there's a catering company that comes out and sets up a grill and grilling hot burgers and brats and dogs and uh, serving up cold beer after the races and. Uh, then we finish off the night right before we do the awards. We finish off the night with adults racing kids' bikes, and it's just hugely <laughs> successful. I can imagine that would be a interesting. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of good pictures. Oh gosh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it gets it gets pretty brutal because it, you know I'm the first one on the starting line for the adults racing oh, kids' really? bikes, <laughs> and everybody's gunning for me. It, you know what? I didn't even ask you. Do you do you race, like mountain bikes or oh, road yeah. or what? What's your what? Talk about your cycling, just so people have an idea of well, who we're talking cycling. to here. <laughs> okay. Well, my true love is is riding road bikes. I I probably put about twenty five hundred to three thousand miles on my road bike every summer, and something that I started doing a couple of years ago with these these underground gravel races. So I've really gotten into doing as many of the gravel road races as I can. And then I'm sure I get out there and mix it up at Buck Hill once in a while. And then I typically ride the Schwamigan 40 almost every okay. year. So how many times have you done the 40? Uh, probably 12 wow. times. That's, yeah, that's it. So what do you think about uh, what what draws you to that race? Um. It's it's uh, I'm I'm pretty involved with my mountain bike team, and that's kind of the grand finale of the season race. And we all go up, a whole group of us go up there, and we take over a corner of this big KOA campground and turn it into just a weekend, a whole weekend of fun. And uh, so it's uh, it's that's what it is. It's a, more of a social thing. I mean, this, the Schwamigan Forty is not a super technical race by mm-hmm. any means. But it's just kind of the grand finale of uh, of the mountain bike racing. For yeah, that's summer. what it seems like. A lot of people they'll rent cabins or they'll, you know, like you said, the big groups and go, and it's just a good weekend. So, oh, it's it's a lot so, of fun. And um, the gravel stuff, it, like Almanzo, that's like the most popular one, I would say. You know, out in that area is is that what you've ridden or what? Okay. Yep. Yep, I've I've ridden the Almanzo one hundred. See, about the Almanza, you can do the Almanza 100, then they have the Royale, which is 162, mm-hmm. and then they have another one. I forget Alexander. what the name of the third race is. Yeah, the Alexander, and I think that's crazy, <laughs> like 300 miles Yeah, I think it was like near that. 300 this year. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, it was, um, yeah. 
So let's. Uh, What's really? What's really? Oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. What's really cool about the Almanza 100? I mean, it's it's riding gravel races. I think it's it's a different animal. That you're it's completely unsupported. You have to have enough stuff with you to get through a hundred miles. I think there's only like one or two places that you can get water, and you just have to carry everything you need to do a hundred miles on gravel. And within the hundred miles, you do over eleven thousand feet of climbing. It's in the it's down in southeastern Minnesota, where there's a lot of river bluff country, and so. On that ride, that you're dropping into some of these really, really cool uh, valleys that are just gorgeous uh, scenery, and it's it's a lot of fun. And you, you know, there's I think last year for the Amonto 100, there was over 1,300 riders that did the the 100. Yeah. And there was I think about 40 that did the 162. Okay. Wow. I didn't realize it was 13. I thought it was around a thousand. That's I mean that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you guys catered yeah. to that crowd or have, what's you know because a lot of people are it seems like the whole gravel thing is kind of just in the middle, you know it's not mountain biking it's not road racing but people don't really know what to say and then you have the group that's like don't call it gravel grinder but there's no I mean that's kind of what it's called. So have you guys yeah. kind of catered to that group yet or not? I mean, how do you like what do you yeah. okay? Yes, we have. Uh, but we, what we typically will do is for the Amanta, the West Side Dirty Benjamin, and the Filthy Fifty, uh, we offer neutral support in having my uh, van and mechanics show up just to make sure that everybody's. If anybody has any problems with the bikes, we're there at the beginning of the race, and so that we can get them all fixed up, and so they're confident that their bike is ready. And if they were having any problems, and so. Yeah, we uh, we cater to that, and, and uh, we also carry all the stuff that you know the the frame bags and things like that that people are going to need uh, for uh, being out there for six seven hours and being able to carry enough stuff easily on their bikes. Yeah, you know, I when we first started, we so listeners, I'm talking with Pat Sorensen. He is the president of Penn Cycle, uh, which is a how many stores do you guys have, Minneapolis? Minneapolis? Uh, we have seven stores yeah, here in the Twin Cities. Seven stores, Twin Cities. Uh, goes back to the nineteen, basically late nineteen fifties, um, and we, you know, initially we started off. Um, I wanted to talk to him about a couple of fat bike races, but now that we start talking about the gravel stuff, I have more questions. Um, and uh, I'm just curious because I was out with some buddies last night. Um, one of them, Joe Tonsager, he's the owner of JPAX. Um, and that's jpacks.com. I got to get him a little plug in there, but we were discussing frame packs and he's like, you know, filled with orders that just kind of popped up for people wanting spring and summer. Um, it, and I want to get your take on them. Like it's, it seems like a no brainer to me because like you said, you go out and do a, a long ride, whether it's a gravel grind, quote unquote gravel grinder or not. Um, you know, People come in and I, you know, I talk to people and they're like, oh, I don't need that. And to me, like frame bags, it's like, that's like the first piece of gear because you can stuff jackets and food and water and you don't have it on your back and you don't have it. Do you get a lot of people coming in that you have to explain that to or what's, you know, what's the story with frame packs, you know, since you're kind of a catering toward that crowd? What have you seen? I'm curious. Well, the idea, at least for me, is 
<clears throat> to keep everything off my body that I can because that just adds to the fatigue. If you got a backpack that you got filled with water bottles and food and things like that, that's no fun. Most I put on my back is a camel pack, and that's it. Uh, usually uh, 100 ounces of water, and uh, that's all that I want on my body. And being able to use the frame to carry all the other stuff that you need is just really a smart way to go about it. The other thing is that you you know have it in the diamond, the diamond of the frame, you can access it easily when you're riding. You know, uh, unzip it, reach in there, grab a goo or whatever you uh, have along with you to eat or for nutrition. Um, it's just so much easier uh, not to have it on your yep. body. And another question I have for you, because it's a, like a hot topic when it gets to be that time. What kind of tires do you roll for uh, for the Almanzo 100? What's your wheel tire setup for the Almanzo? <laughs> uh, I tried tubeless, but... Uh, you know, on a training ride, I burnt the tire when I hit a rock, and so I've chosen to leave my my wheel set up with tubes. I run a 32C, typically uh, like a small block eight uh, tread pattern, and that seems to roll pretty good. And and can I ask what kind of uh, bike you ride for those? Uh, currently, I'm I'm riding a, a carbon uh, BH cyclocross bike with disc brakes. Um, like on the Amazo, for instance, some of those descents are they're really fast. And uh, cantilever brakes, uh, the first time that I rode the Amazo, I got kind of scary <laughs> on some of those descents because the cantilevers just did not slow you down well enough. And it's uh, I, like, I really like having the, the disc brake okay. set up. Cool. Well, that's good. some good insight. I didn't really anticipate. I guess, you know, I didn't realize that... Uh the gravel scene was that big that I'm talking to the president of Penn cycle and he's telling me, you know, what kind of tires he uses for gravel grinders. So I, I really appreciate the, it's good insight, good insight. So let's, uh, you know, it's winter, fat bikes are hot. Let's, I, I want to talk about the get fat with Pat. Um, just talk about okay. it. What, what is get fat with Pat? Um, and then I want to talk about the river bottoms because people, you know, in forums and, you know, social media, everyone kind of throws it around and then people kind of wonder, well, what does that even mean? So let's talk about the rides and talk about where they're at. Well, the, the Get Fat with Pat, the name of the race is, uh, I was not a part of coming up with the name <laughs> yeah. of the races. My mountain bike team, uh, they thought that would be pretty funny, uh, Get Fat with Pat. But uh, nevertheless, it's that's the name of the races. And uh the, the Minnesota River Bottoms is a really unique place to ride. I mean, it's it's sought after uh, by people in the summertime. What's unique about it is in the springtime, often it floods down there and the trails could uh, completely change. And so uh, we were able to secure the, uh, the okay from the city of Bloomington to put on a, a fat bike race last winter. And uh, then they came back and because they were so pleased with how the attendance and how well we ran the races and things like that, that they asked us to be part of a, a winter festival. It's called the, the Winter Fet in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota. And uh, we're going to be putting a race on next Saturday and then also the following Saturday. And uh, the trail's all marked and uh, it's all set. In fact, I'm going to go down with a group of my, my mountain bike team tomorrow and we're going to ride the trail and uh, work at getting it packed in so that it's going to be good in good shape. And I don't <clears throat> see where we're going to get in any snow this this week, so it should be in great shape. Yeah, and 
you know, with fat bikes, um, what's your, I kind of was alluding to it earlier, but you know, with all the new kind of waves of stuff, I mean, obviously you're a big supporter of fat bikes. Um, but can you talk about that? What, what do you see? You know, people aren't calling it a fad anymore. You know, last year it was like, Oh, it's just a fad. You know, talk about your, your take on fat bikes. What do you see? Like, why has it become so popular so quickly? What's, what's the scoop? You know, it's, uh, they're just, it's a completely different ride. It's not all about the speed. It's, it's being able to go out and uh, go where bikes wouldn't normally go. And like, for instance, riding the river bottom, sometimes I go down there early in the morning. I'm just riding along. You're kicking up uh, deer that are, you know, walking down the river bottoms. I've seen fox down there. I've seen coyotes. Uh, you just, you're out in the, out in the, out of nature and being able to see stuff that you wouldn't normally see. And being able to do it on a bike, you can go further and, uh, and easier than if you were riding a regular mountain bike. And, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. It's a completely different experience. Yeah. And it's hard to explain. I don't know. You've probably experienced it, but it's really hard to explain to some people either. They, it seems like either they get it or they don't. So I don't know. You know, it, it's, uh, it's being embraced by a lot. Uh, people in, in different ways. Uh, last summer, for instance, we, we put the two six race uh, mountain bike race, uh, two six race series uh, uh, mountain bike races at Buck Hill. We actually had a separate category and scored uh, the fat bikes separately. And we were getting uh, anywhere from 20 to 35 fat bikes out there every Thursday night. <laughs> wow, that's, uh, yeah, that's a lot. So, what, um, I guess, is there anything, you know, let's talk about, I, I kind of want to just give you a little open, is there anything else, you know, you don't want to talk about the stores or anything else with the, the rides that you want to talk about? Hey, you know, is there any big group rides that you have that you kind of are backing during the summer? What do you, what else do you have going on? Oh, in the summertime, uh, we are involved with about, oh gosh, I want to say around 60 different events whether it be for uh, helping major corporations encourage their staff to you know, start commuting and embrace the whole idea of, of riding to work. Uh, we're involved with, with a lot of the organized rides that are supporting for like the cancer rides and uh, leukemia and different things like that. Uh, we offer uh, lots of support for uh, local triathlons. Um, we're, our, our truck and trailer and mechanics are rolling uh, practically every weekend and, uh, often a couple of times during the week. Hmm. So you're, uh, if anybody has questions, I mean, you're definitely, uh, you're definitely out and about so they can get a hold of any of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, absolutely. so, and you know, I want to get back to the fat bike race because I, I just want to give people, how do they sign up? How do they get a hold of, you know, I'll link, um, some stuff on the show page, but I wanted to, I forgot to have you tell people, where do they sign up? How much is it? Um, what should they expect as far as numbers? Okay, well, they can uh, just go on the com website. We have uh, a big flyer all with all the information. But what we're doing this year is uh, we are – normally for the summer races, we just charge $10. But for the fat bike races, we're going to be charging $15, and then we're going to be donating five of that $15 to more, the Minnesota Off-Road Cycling 
so that we can continue to give them funds so that the trails can get better and even more of them. And uh, the races uh, will have uh, sign-up day of the race all night. And uh, like I said, it's only 15 bucks. And then the other thing that's been really successful for our, all of our, all of the mountain bike races and the path bike races that we do is that we uh, we give about, uh, probably about four to five hundred dollars worth of uh, swag uh, just as drawings and door prizes. And then for the two uh, the second uh, fat with uh, get fat with fat race, we're going to be giving away a nine zero seven frame and fork. Wow. Generous. <laughs> it's very, you're very generous by giving all that stuff. So people should, if you're listening, get out there. Donate the, you know, pay the 15 bucks, go, five bucks goes to Mork, get out for a day, race around, have a chance to win a frame and fork. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's one last thing before, I, before we go. Um, it's another fat bike related uh, topic. What do you see going into next year as far as fat bikes? Is it going to change a lot or are people going to be buying, you know, kind of upgrading? What's the scoop? Because, you know, I looking at, at it this year from last year, you know, I thought, you know, this would be the year where people just kind of, you know, start upgrading components and all that stuff. And then carbon hit and all these new options came out. And it's like, it's not even to that point. People are just, just getting on them. So what's next year going to, what's the, the crystal ball for next year, say? Well, <clears throat> looking into my crystal ball, I think that you're going to continue to see a lot of technology uh, improvements. Uh, the big boys uh, are going to get into it, I think, even more. Uh, Trek uh, kind of dabbled with it a little bit with this year, coming out with the Farley. <clears throat> they totally underestimated the market. And, uh, you know, they uh, they sold everything they could uh, that they could produce this year and they were they're on the bikes, and so I think that the uh, track can specialize. A lot of the, the big boys are going to say this is a this is really a real deal. Um, the, the guys up at the nine zero seven in Anchorage, Alaska, we just built up one of their carbon fiber uh, bikes, and it came in at twenty three pounds. Yeah, it's <laughs> so from three years ago, what the what the Pugsley was the, really the first fat bike that was. 38 pounds, and now they're down to 23. We're, we're building bikes at 23 pounds right Did now. Did you think it would happen that fast? <laughs> no, I certainly didn't, but uh, I sure am <laughs> glad that it did because uh, my what's really cool is my staff says, hey, we're a bike shop 12 months a year now here in Minnesota. Yeah. And, well, and the, you know, the flip side, too, people are out there doing something. Yeah, it's just amazing. You know, You're down on the river trail. I bet you there'll be probably, I'm guessing that will probably be about 75 to 100 riders down there tomorrow. Or even more. It's supposed to be up in the mid-30s tomorrow. There'll probably be more than that. <laughs> wow. Whereas, like, five years ago, there was nothing. Yeah, there was, yeah, a couple of uh, people trying to ride on a regular mountain bike and slipping and sliding and tipping over and not having near the fun that you can on a fat bike. Right, exactly. All right, cool. Is there anything else that you wanted to to wanted to mention before we wrap this up? Uh, all I can say is give the fat bikes a chance. We're going to have demo bikes at uh, Get Fat with Pack races. So if you have never ridden a fat bike, you want to come down and try it. We'll have about a half a dozen demo bikes that you can go out and play on. 
So come on down and uh, have some fun with us. It's a, it's a great time. All right, cool. Thanks, Pat, for joining me, and I appreciate uh, appreciate the time. You bet, and I look forward to meeting you, Ben. All right, yeah, we uh, we'll be meeting out. I, I got to get this plug in there too. Uh, at the Fat Bike Frozen Forty, uh, February fifteenth. So if you're listening to this and you're in the Minneapolis area, check out frozen40.com. So, but I'll see you out there. Pat will be out there racing and all kinds of stuff going on. But uh, yeah, so cool. That'll do it. And I uh, appreciate everyone listening in to another episode of the Ride Fat Bike Show on Mountain Bike Radio. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mountain Bike Radio. Be sure to head over to mountainbikeradio.com to find a full listing of all the shows, recent episodes, archives, and you can buy some swag, t-shirts, socks, stickers, and you can become a member in which you get deals on coaching, nutrition, products, and a whole bunch of other things. So be sure to head over to mountainbikeradio.com and you'll find all the info you need. Thank you.